Hello, you're listening to The More the Merrier with Donna G. The focus of today's show is Hot Docs, the Canadian International Documentary Festival, which runs April 27th to May 7th at various venues in Toronto. The website is hotdocs.ca, H-O-T-D-O-C-S dot C-A. For tickets, screening schedule, information about free screenings for students and seniors, and podcast and streaming events. My guests for the hour are Paloma Zapata, a Spanish director of the documentary La Singla, about a flamenco dancer who disappeared at the height of her career in the 60s. Then you'll hear from Christian Einshow, a Danish director, about his very personal documentary featuring his family's response over the death of his younger brother, while he was a toddler. Paloma's film, La Singla, is part of the Artscapes program in Hot Docs and screens Friday, April 28th, 2.30 p.m. and Thursday, May 4th, 8 p.m. at the Scotiabank Theatre. Christian's film, The Mountains, screens Thursday, April 27th at the Tiff Bell Lightbox at 6 p.m. and Sunday, April 30th at the Scotiabank Theatre at noon. Again, for all things hot dogs, H-O-T-D-O-C-S dot C-A. As for me, you can reach me at www.ciut.fm. Click on the more the merrier Sundays at 1 p.m. And my contact details are there. Or you can simply follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. My handle is at TMTM with Donna G. Music on today's show, you'll hear Burning Bridges by Roger Scanura, a flamenco guitarist. Then you'll hear from jazz flautist Jeff Kearns with Strange Predictions. And we'll finish the show with Alan Hobbins' Nocturne in D-flat major, opus 27, number two by Chopin. I hope you enjoy the show.
You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show Paloma Zapata, who's here to talk about her documentary, La Singla, which will be screening at Hot Docs on Friday, April 28th at 2.30 and Thursday, May 4th at 8 p.m. at the Scotiabank Theatre. Theater. La Singla is an amazing documentary that I want you to see. But first, I want to meet Paloma, and I'm sure you want to meet her too. So, Paloma, welcome to CIUT. Welcome to The More the Merrier. Hello. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So, Paloma, I noticed that um, you've done other sort of musical documentaries, or su- the, the subject has been musicians previously. Is that primarily your work? Yes, I have been working like, like a music video director for 15 years. And, and then after that, I started to, to, to work in this, in this other format, music documentaries. My, my first one was in, in Senegal. Uh, about the music in Senegal, and then I, um, my second one was about uh, a musician from the Roma community here in Barcelona. And through this through this project, I found out about La Singla. Can you tell the audience the names of the two documentaries, please? Yes, the first one is called uh, Casamans, the soundtrack of a journey, and the second one is called uh, Peret. The first one is a road movie uh, in the search of the of the musical roots um, in Senegal, and it's uh, like a personal uh, journey in, inside and outside through through the music. Um, and the, the second one is. Um, it's a portrait of a famous musician uh, who uh, invent, in, invent, in, invented a, a style of music called rumba catalana, which is a mix between uh, Latin music and flamenco. Which leads us to La Singla, the famous flamenco dancer who I have never heard about, and I love flamenco. And that's what drew me to uh, to your film. I'm like, how come I've never heard of her? So tell me uh, how you came upon La Singla, Antonita uh, Singla. Uh, well, I was working in this previous uh, documentary about flamenco. And when I was searching for archives in the family archive of this uh, musician, I found that picture of uh, this amazing young woman uh, with this uh, incredible gaze. And I don't know, I, 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 I found that something, something mysterious was in her eyes. And I asked about her and some, someone told me that she was a, a deaf dancer. So I started to, to, to try to find, to find more, more information, but in the internet, uh, there was not much information about, about her. Um, but I found some, some videos and I saw her dancing and wow, uh, she was amazing, but um, there was not more, more inf- information. So I started, I started to, 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 to try to find more information. And I don't know, it, there was a mystery around her. 
Um, I want to go back to the point where you said you saw a photo of her mm -hmm. and her face. If you see her face, you will stop and look yeah. and think, who is this person? Because there's so much emotion um, in her face and in her attitude. And then when you find out that, uh, you know, she was she was uh, deaf because of a, a, an illness, um, when she was a baby and you're like oh my goodness that adds to it so um, how long did it take you um, to find more and more information how long was your research um, in find in trying to find more about her uh, I started working in this project in like five years ago the the, the film was premiered at the beginning of this year so a lot of uh, time yeah like Five years. I, in the in the documentary, you I see you asking people, "Have you heard of her? Have you heard of her?" And everybody is saying, everybody is saying no. And um, also, you speak to I've forgotten the name of the woman you speak to um, when you're dancing at the beginning um, with a woman who is also um, she said, "Don't use the word uh, deaf or deaf mute." It's offensive. Uh, what is the name of that woman, please? Her name is Maria Angeles, uh, but everybody calls her the the girl of silence. She 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 dance, feeling the the the, the silent the silence inside. So, did you start with her in terms of um, finding more about how La Singla could dance? You know, uh, being you know hard of hearing. Uh, the story. Yeah, she was one of the of the first uh, who told me about because I was curious uh, how someone can dance without hear sounds. Um, so through her, I started to understand that you don't need to to hear to 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 feel the rhythm because the the rhythm is inside inside you. So um, for a deaf person, it's a it's a uh, way to express the art inside her. And how long um, have you been taking flamenco lessons? Uh, I'm, I'm not a, a very good uh, flamenco dancer, but uh, I'm very close to to music because my my I've been working with with music and with flamenco for a long time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I and I know well the the flamenco culture. I took a, a lesson once and um, it's a it's such a beautiful dance and it takes a while to become um, to become, you know, really good at it. And it allows you as an individual to express yourself. Um, so I love I love flamenco, but watching um, La Singla and there's photos you found photos of her when she was young tell me about finding those photos of her yeah after after a while I met uh, Colita who is a, a very well-known photographer here in, in Spain she met La Singla when she was 20 and La Singla was uh, 13 and they were very close friends uh, so, so Colita um, took like 500 pictures of her at that time. Um, when I met Colita, uh, she told me about her friendship and how she took the pictures. 
it it had it has been 50 years since she doesn't uh, hear uh, from la from la singla i know she just disappeared yeah. and exactly. um uh, but when she was younger she was quite famous and even made um a film um when she was uh 13 14 la tarantos actually the the film was uh, dubbed uh, by by voice actors yeah she moved her lips <laughs> and someone had a voice over the film so they did it this way do you know how she got involved in the film uh, yes um this film is is about um uh, is is uh, about a love story it's like romeo and juliet story but in in a roma community in barcelona the cast the cast of the film is uh, they are all all the neighbor the, the people from this this place they are not actors um so it was an artist, a painter here in, in Spain who, who selected the, the artist and La Singla uh, was uh, between this, this crew. Can you describe for the audience um, the, the place where uh, La Singla grew up? Yes, here in, in Barcelona during the 60s, we, we had not the, the touristic uh, Beach that that we have we have right now, the 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 beach at that time was um, a place uh, with a slum with um, with a where where Roma community uh, had her their houses and it was a place uh, very poor. So the 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 childhood the childhood of La Singla was a uh, very hard. And she had, yeah, and um, she had a lot of siblings, and it was her mother who primarily raised her. Yes, because uh, her father, he he was from France, uh, left them when when she was uh, very, very young. I wanted to mention where she grew up, because this is a young woman who later... uh, met some very uh, famous artists, Marcel Duchamp, uh, for example. Can you share about that aspect of her life? Yeah, she, she was a very, very inspiring uh, woman. So a group of artists uh, in in Barcelona, like Dalí, Salvador Dalí, or, or, or the French Marcel Duchamp, uh, were fascinated with, with her. At, at that moment, um, painting and other arts here in Barcelona were very related to flamenco. So for them, she was like a, a muse. Yeah, and you know these are very famous people, and it's interesting that a girl from the slums, because of her talent, because of what they saw in her, ended up in in this circle of of artists. And that's quite extraordinary. That's not uh, the average life. So she was living this lifestyle. And um, I found that quite um, impressive. 
but also I'm imagining myself, you know, being uh, 14, 15, 16 and, you know, hanging out with adults. It, it, it must have been. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, how do you think you would have reacted in that situation? I don't know. Um, yeah, I understand what, what I just saying. It, for a little girl, little girl, I don't think it was the best place to be. Um, but uh, in spite of all, all this, she, she got to to be very a very big artist. But she she left the dance very young too. I, I guess she had a lot of pressure being being a child in this in this context mm-hmm. i could i could see that um it's a lot of pressure on her young shoulders and i can imagine how frustrating it must have been you know to be uh hard of hearing and um being told by all these adults you know what what to do and and how to behave I can see that in the film. In terms of your research, uh, you said it took almost five years. Um, were there times when you you wanted to just give up because this is such a mystery as to what happened to her? Were there times when you wanted to give up on on the film? Oh, well, it's difficult because you know the it's the industry which is very difficult to to. Um, to try to 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 get to to find all this information, all the um, to put it in a film, to get the 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 money also to to do everything uh, for an very independent independent um, film. But now I'm very happy because when I when the when people see the film in the in the cinema in the screen, uh, I think the f- the feelings and the the emotions they we, we can share with with the audience with the people is very beautiful. So I think it deserves to to all all this hard way to to finally to get this uh, this uh, beautiful moments. Has the film been seen by the by anybody in the Roma community? Yes, yes. Some, sometimes when uh, we uh, we screen the film in, in uh, we premiere in, in in Greece in Thessaloniki, um, there there were a group of uh, people from the Roma community, and they were very proud. They felt proud um, with a reference like like La Singla. She's a very important artist and very talented. So for them. Um, what they expressed to me were that they were very proud. The community back in in um, in Spain, where she was born, uh, the slums, uh, they're all gone. They're all gone. That, that was that was torn down. So, as you said, now there are beaches there. So, you know, nobody can go back and see where La, La Singla grew up, except. Um, now in in your in your film and in the in the pictures that exist so it's kind of like a a historical reference that you're giving to people uh with this film did you know that you were sort of bringing her back 
to the people when you were making this film, bringing back that community? Yeah, the, the point is that here in 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 Spain, the 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 Roma community uh, is is not there anymore, but they live in other kind of let's say ghettos. So it has changed, but not much. That's another thing that uh, I think is it was important to to talk about through the film. Yeah, the treatment of the Roma community and how I found it interesting that they they were illegal housing, so they built the houses at night. Yes. And so when the police came in the day, they couldn't do anything because the houses were already yeah. there. But then, you know, when they were building the airport and, you know, the gentrification happening and they all of those houses were bulldozed and moved and that community um, that was there uh, disappeared. Um, but now it can be seen in your film and La Singla, the world um, now will know that she existed. And it's interesting how somebody so famous can just disappear. What did you think about that? I mean, now we have, you know, all of these social media and everything is happening and you know, back then it was, it made me think, well, how can somebody so famous disappear? You must have had that thought too. Yeah, this, this, this was my first thought. Why, why she disappeared? She is, if she's so big. Yeah. And this is the starting point of the film. Yeah. And then you try to find her and you're running into roadblocks and, People saying, oh, La Singla, no, I don't know her. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting that fame can be so fleeting. You know, um, somebody who was uh, compared to Carmen Amaya, uh, the most famous flamenco dancer, somebody who's supposed to be the next Carmen, uh, disappears. Why? Why do you think so many people didn't remember her? I think there are m many reasons, but one of, of them, I think, is very different than uh, other women or the representation of of women in flamenco, because she's uh, very masculine. She danced with uh, trousers. Yeah, with, with her. With her hair, um, she moves her hair like a, with a with a, with a, with rage, and she's not delicate. She's very strong and furious. So I, th I think even in the flamenco community, they were not very. They were confused <laughs> with with this uh, different woman. So I think. I think one of the reasons is because she was very modern and very different. When I saw her dancing, I thought, oh, she's dancing in pants. And I thought, <laughs> I'd never, um, it's not usual to see a female flamenco dancer, you know, dancing in pants. But, um, and you said that her, you mentioned her hair. It's like she's, it's like she, there's a wildness. Um, and you said, you know, a ferocity about her and i i love the way that she's dancing in pants because you can really see her body and her feet and her expression her whole body 
You know, it's like you can't fake flamenco dancing. If your mood is not in it, it's going to show in your dancing. And with her, it's like she's like a fire when she dances. And you're right. She she is so different. Yes. And I, I, I guess that's why they didn't know how to to take her. So when she disappeared, everything just went along with the regular way. And back then, there's no, you know, social media to say, oh, let me see what happened to her. She just she just disappeared. She just stopped. So you were like a detective on the hunt trying to figure out what happened to her, why she disappeared. I want to thank you because this film introduced me uh, to somebody I didn't know about, to somebody who was so different, to someone who, you know, had a, a hearing uh disability um she's able to she's able to communicate she as mm-hmm. as your um your friend said in the beginning sign language is communicating so she was able so la singla was able to communicate through her dancing and it touched me and i think it will touch the audience um at hot docs as well uh, yeah i'm sure so you said um it's had it's it's making its north american premiere uh here at hot docs and you mentioned it it played in thessalonica and where else has it played the film uh, was in thessaloniki it was it was the opening film then it was at colombia uh, um cartagena de indias Ah, and what and, was the response there? It uh, was very, very good because um, the film was was shown in the in the street in the streets in the center ah. of the city. So there were a lot of people that were were coming crossing the street and and they stopped and and then they were watching the film and so yeah very good very good and then we were to to Malaga in Spain uh-huh and the next one will be Toronto but yeah at Malaga what was the response great because it was uh, the national premiere the first mm-hmm. the first time that that the film were was watched in Spain um the com- the flamenco community a lot of people from the com- flamenco community were there yeah it was amazing too was there anybody in the flamenco community there who remembered her not many yes ah. a few a, a few of them but but it, it's curious it's uh, curious that not many flamenco dancer or singers remember her wow that's just extraordinary how somebody, you know, at the height of such a career could disappear and, you know, be lost from history, even among the people who do her dance. Well, I hope that um, if there are any dancers, flamenco dancers who are going to be at Hot Docs, that they look at her and her style and, you know, uh, maybe are inspired to to dance more furiously <laughs> you know to she invented her own style you know yeah. in terms of how she was counting and looking and you know working with the musicians and um i hope that this new generation of flamenco dancers can learn from what 
they see in your film and, you know, maybe dance in pants like the, like the men do and, you know, show everything and be, she's just, I, I really admire, you know, what she did. I, I really admire what she did in terms of um, what she brought to the dance. And I want to thank you for spending the time to do the research and to persevere and continue um, with your, you know, your detective work in trying to find out what happened uh, to La Singla. So thank you. Thank you so much for making this film. Thank you very much for giving me this uh, opportunity to talk about hair with you. CIUT 89.5, the sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, The More the Merrier with Donna G. And joining me to talk about the documentary, The Mountains, is the director, Christian Einshow. Christian, welcome to uh, welcome to CIUT. I know you've been to Canada before because you've been to hot dogs before. Well, thank you. Yes, I've uh, been several times uh, to hot dogs before. So The and... Mountains um, is a very personal film, deals with the aftermath years later of your young brother dying as a baby. I always I ask every director this because there's always a spark as to why they do what they do. So why did you decide um, to make this very personal film? It's a weirdly difficult uh, um, question uh, because it actually took a took a long while to circle in on what the film eventually became, even the subject of. The death of my brother and uh, like having uh, the film be sort of a uh, diving into the aftermath of that like came at a late stage and uh, the whole thing I would say have taken like 15 years um, to make um, but so I've spent all that time digging through the my dad's vast home video archive there's like 30 years of home videos and um but i think the point where um uh, let's say the threads started to merge were when my uh, dad was uh, fired uh, five years ago and he decided to sell the family home and um, leave norway for denmark um and I, oh. yeah, started to record. Your film is fascinating to me because, as you mentioned, your father had all these reels of film and photograph, more, I think, than any other regular family in the 90s, I would think. <laughs> yeah, um, now too. it's like everybody has a phone, so everybody has a camera, but in the 90s, no, you know, as somebody who's older than you, um, there are no records of a lot of my exploits. <laughs> right. But, but for you, um, there's a lot um, from when you were uh, a little kid um, and and now that you're, you've made this film. But mm. 
Um, your dad put the camera down. You picked it up. Mm. Were you were you you mentioned in the film that you did that, but were you conscious of what you were doing when you decided to pick up the camera and continue filming the family? No. Um it was just like looking back, I think it's it it was a way to try to connect with my dad because he was so into the video thing, uh, always uh, like he was always behind that camera. So that was a way to like to share something, like to have something in common. Did your dad have the camera before or did he really just buy it um, to to document the brief life of your brother, Christopher? Yeah, no, that's what really happened. Like if, uh, this was a, we didn't have a lot of money and buying a camera like that back then was uh, like beyond what like they could actually afford. Uh, so it really only happened because like time was uh, so limited uh, like it was it, the doctors had declared like okay he's not gonna live you know uh, and, and that really is the point where he decides okay I'll like he'd always taken a lot of like photographs but uh, but that was a point where it's like okay I'm gonna buy the video camera camera and and try to uh, just record as much as possible uh, at that point we thought it would be actually just 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 for a week um, and it eventually he ends up living another seven months. Uh, but uh, but yeah, you're a family of of all of all boys, mm. and um, your mother hates the camera, so she's not there a mm. lot. I'm I'm wondering how much she was there for you as a child after Christopher's death. Well. She was certainly always there in in uh, in any uh, imaginable like practical sense, and of course she she was also there, or like emotionally available or what to say. But uh, but but I think um, it is true of uh, everyone in our family that. Uh, let's say verbalizing our feelings is not our strongest suit um and uh, i feel this is true for her as well uh so something i realized very late was that i actually had the experience um growing up that we as a family tackled uh, this, like the death of my brother, really well, because my both of my parents uh, were very open about, you know, even though me and my brother were only seven years old, they would tell us like, okay, he's he's going to die, you know, and uh, there were there were no taboo regarding the disease. Uh, so, so I had the impression that, and this was true also when he died. Like, they would uh, anyone who who asked, they would talk about the, the the process of you know the disease and whatever. So I I really thought that we would handle it very well, and it was only uh, many years later that I 
realized that uh, no one at no point did, did anyone in the family put into words how the loss affected them personally. I see. Um, so it's in putting together the film that you realize this. Is that true? Or was it um, the reaction of one of your brothers? Uh, no, yeah, it's um, it's it's um, like it's 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 during these fifteen years. Like at some point, like uh, I, um, as I said earlier, like it's not. A, I didn't think it was an interesting theme, like this uh, with the death of my brother. I didn't think it would be an interesting theme for a film because I like there was no. In my mind, it was already processed this um, pain or whatever. But when I start filming, um, and this is more than uh, like yeah, fifteen years ago, uh, it's yeah, it's only during these interviews, like uh, I, um, yeah, yeah, that I realized that uh, that we never had these kind of conversations before, really. Obvious, it's obvious to me because um, there was a sadness in in that I see in in all of your eyes that there's depression. Mm. um in in the family among amongst you and uh and your brothers mm. um did you notice the depression um in any of your brothers or again was that just through filming that they decided to talk about what they felt yeah i have two brothers and with fred the oldest mm-hmm. um it was um I didn't know, like he always seemed like a happy kid to me. And also just his personality is very happy-go-lucky in any sense, in every sense. So in the film, what happens is he's going through a divorce and he has sort of a, well, obviously this is sort of a life crisis. And he's he, he wants to like revise, or he's certainly, he's interested in going back and... um he wants to go back and analyze his feelings about right. himself and his actions and what might have led to In to the, past, the yeah. right to the divorce. And um so was it the depression more obvious in your brother Alex? Yeah, it was and but also like not uh before but just in another way like uh, so during filming his uh, psychological problems starts to surface with depression and anxiety, but, but it's all hidden. Like it's not, it is, it's nothing he's explaining or telling anyone. It's only become clear, becomes clear to the rest of us through his absence really, or like he's not picking up the phone or whatever. Mm-hmm. How uh, familiar yeah. were you before this film about um, mood disorders? about anxiety and depression how familiar were you with the symptoms before you started making this film fairly uh familiar i will say through my own experience mm-hmm. um but um so i thought i was uh alone you know with these uh these kind of issues interesting because yeah. when i saw your brothers I saw it automatically. I just looked oh, yeah. in their eyes. <laughs> I looked in their eyes and I saw it. And when your breath, because um, one of the, because it's, it's so 
much more difficult for men to talk about their feelings. And I know mm. that the Danes don't like to talk about their feelings. <laughs> um, so it was obvious to me um, and also in your your father's, you know, mm. obs- obsession with perfection and the boxes and you uh, mm. collecting um, plastic bags and, um, right. you know, Frederick uh, sort of, you know, being a type A personality and Alex not being able to to finish school. And mm. I, I saw I, I saw all of this um, in your eyes. And I right. wanted to say, sit down and talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but I know but that's I not I know that's not always easy when somebody has um, a mood disorder to to just sit down and, and, and open up all of a sudden. I know it's a process. And... Yeah, and also like in our family, like that, there's just not we don't have a culture for doing that. Like, yeah, I'm not talking about like a national culture, but but in our family, we we just never did that. So it's so yeah. like it's completely foreign territory. This idea of sitting down and saying like, so how are you really feeling? You know, it's <laughs> it's never been done. <laughs> yeah. And I think it hasn't been done in a lot of families, especially among males. And again, you mentioned your brother, you thought he was happy-go-lucky. And sometimes um, those are the people you sometimes have to check in on, right. you know, because, you know, they, you, they see, they, they present as having, you know, regular moods, but they're, but they're hiding this, this darkness. And I found right. it fascinating as well Um you know, this whole aspect of identity being um, Danish, but living mm. in Norway. And I partic- particularly felt for Alex, mm. who was the baby born after Christopher, um, mm. I, in terms of how he sees himself. Did he see himself as sort of like a replacement for Christopher? And also the fact that he was born in Norway and he mm. speaks Norwegian and the rest of you you know, he mentions in the film that he thought you all had this bond, mm. um, you know, being Danish and being, you know, have your nationality set where he is in a Danish family in um in Norway, living in Norway in a Danish family. Yeah. So yeah. I, so in, I adi- really... in, adi- in addition, obviously, to the fact that he feels that we we have a bond because of like we were there we experienced this you know defining moment like being the death of my brother and he's excluded for that experience so actually he he sort of he says that he he wished that he had been there right yeah Yeah. and I completely I completely understand that is Hmm. your father talking more about it it's uh certainly very willing to um like try to uh talk about stuff uh now like if whenever like there's no question i could tell him where he would say like no i'm not gonna discuss that but i think what i'm the reason i portray him the way i do in the film as this like silent man who's completely out of touch with his own emotions is um i don't know it's it's that feels uh i think he's never gonna be 
I mean, I feel me and my brothers has some ability now to talk about these things. Um, and I just think that my dad's ability will always be less because of different reasons, uh, just being from another generation. Yeah. Being one reason. How do you and, feel now that you've made this film? Well, relieved that it's over <laughs> because it's been very difficult and uh, it's taken a long, uh, it's just been a very long process. Were there times when you wanted to stop because it was too emotionally difficult? Um, I mean, the the part of it that's emotionally difficult for me is uh, not so much digging into the past. I mean, which is obviously sad with my brother and so on, but the thing that is really difficult when you sit and try to assemble this story is more the gravity of the responsibility I feel when uh, telling a story which is not only mine, you know, I, I, it's also my brother's and my dad's and my mom's story. And that weighed uh, heavy on me, this, um yeah the burden like yeah because like i i obviously i hope i i i um i do it well you know um that i don't uh mess up and uh make them sad <laughs> have they seen the uh, film they have uh and um my uh they're all really happy with it uh especially but it's different uh i mean it's more complicated i think for my uh, parents i mean seeing the film for them is is special because of these like the stuff that my brothers say or expose in the film are uh, you know revelations to my parents like they didn't know about Frederick's thoughts of suicide and, you know, Alex's complex relationship to the family because of arriving after the death of Christopher and whatnot. So I think they are still uh, processing this information um, in some way. Well, I wish your family continued good health as as you work through this, because this is just life and um, this is what you're dealt and what you have to deal with. I think mm. you're all better off for for you, Christian, having made this film. And I think a lot of people at Hot Docs will be able uh, to relate and have their own family conversations um, starting. So thank you for putting yourself out there and your family as well. And I hope you enjoy Hot Docs. Thank you. Thank you for having me.